Death doesn't, the grave doesn't, sin doesn't, because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, who's the over-conqueror, the great conqueror, amen? All right, Acts 3, turn there in your Bibles if you would. Um, thank you, Karen. Uh, totally, you know, Karen, what I love about Karen and, uh, and Doug and all of our deacons, right? We're always looking for people to, to lead us in communion. And uh, our last leadership meeting, I asked, who wants to lead communion? And no one kind of raised their hands. And I said, well, you all need to start loving Jesus, all right? So, no, nothing motivates better than guilt and shame, right? Um, so, no, no, but Karen raised her hand. And I was like, yes! And she's like, I hate public speaking. I hate getting in front of people. Like, number one fear among people is public speaking. But she gets up here, shares her heart. I love it. Thank you, Karen, so much. So, um, what a blessing. So, um, some of you have probably heard uh, this, this phrase, God's power can move us so many times from adversity to opportunity. God has this amazing way to bring about hope out of suffering situations. Um, on, a, on a very minor scale, my wife and I were out to eat a long time ago, and she bit into whatever we were eating, and there was a screw in her food. Has that ever happened to you? I didn't, I didn't ask for this with a side of screws. All I know is that I, did, I didn't order it like that, right? But she's like, oh my goodness, and she pulls out of her mouth a screw that was in the food. Now, here's, here's how that adversity turned into opportunity. We got a free meal out of it. Luckily, luckily, it wasn't like a $5,000 dental bill or something, right? Uh, a guy, this happened this week. A guy out of New Jersey was out with his wife enjoying an appetizer of oysters. Who likes oysters? Who likes clams, right? They're eating clams, oysters. Clams on the half shell. He bites into a clam, and what does he find in it? A pearl. Now, uh, as, as discomfort, it, it, it may be, right, to, to bite into a, a clam and then have this, have something like a rock, right? He pulls it out. It's a pearl valued at thousands of dollars. Don't we want our adversity to be like that? Don't we want our, our difficult moments to be like, it's painful, but I know there's something rewarding in it, right? I know that God is going to move this this, this situation that I don't want to be in, that, I, that I'm uncomfortable in, that I'm suffering through, and I, I want to know that there's something positive in it. God has an amazing way of, of bringing hope out of our suffering. God has an amazing way of turning our adversity into opportunities to display His glory, His power, and somehow to tell us that not all things are going to wreck us like we think they're going to wreck us. We turn into Acts chapter 3. We meet a man who has been crippled since birth. Turn there in your Bibles if you would. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of, of Acts chapter 3. What we see in Acts now, after we've gone through these first couple chapters, is that the church is now mobilized for mission, right? They, they have seen this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is able to transform lives, not just spiritually, but, but physically. And now the church is going to have this presence in this, in this vicinity of Jerusalem and beyond, where they're going to see the outpouring continue to work and and healing is going to take place and God is going to bring hope out of suffering and opportunity out of out of adversity and and this is also a moment where when God mobilizes his church it's not without opposition and I'm going to have you write down two phrases or two words in your notes opportunity and opposition because when God has opportunity to work you can better believe that there's going to be opposition to his work and that's one of the things I'm praying for as a church as we navigate these, these next chapters in Acts is how do we continue to move forward when we are facing 
an adversary who doesn't want God's work to continue. And I think we can gain great experience and encouragement from the early church as we look at this. Here's the church on the move, entering a world with, with healing power. Now, not all healing is physical healing. I want us to recognize as a church that God can heal. We don't discount God's ability to heal, but we should not be so presumptuous to think that he's going to heal all of our sicknesses, all of our maladies, all of our, all of our uh, suffering, right? But I will tell you that God does guarantee to heal our hearts. And there's a, that's a whole different thing. Well, he might not heal us physically. We still want to pray for physical healing when, that, when those opportunities arise. But more often than not, what God's going to do is he's going to bring sp- spiritual healing. And he is going to comfort our hearts even though we may not experience the physical healing we want. There's something about knowing the nearness of God through his son Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so oftentimes the true healing that we experience is through the Spirit reminding us that we are indeed Abba's children. And that if we don't get healing in this world, I do know guaranteed healing is yet to come. Amen, church? So we still pray but may we pray for one another without being presumptuous. There's the danger. So we look at Acts chapter 3. Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. The work of God's going forward, bringing healing. 3,000 people have now come to know Jesus. There is a spiritual nursery in Jerusalem where there are tons of kids crying. There's kids that need bottles. There's kids that need diaper changes. And there's 120 disciples, right, to take care of these 3,000 people. Can you imagine the scene? There's a lot of excitement, but what a mess. And sometimes I call these glorious messes, right? What's God going to do now? Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. So Peter and John go out to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. It's about 3 p.m., Jews were called to pray three times a day, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m. This was the busiest hour. Why? Because people were wrapping up their days. They're getting done with their work, and most people had that opportunity to go at 3 p.m. So they head out to the temple at 3 p.m. along with masses of other people, right? And a certain man, nameless, who had been uh, lame, not as far as a lame dude, like, dude, you're a poser, but lame as far as he was crippled, right? He was lame from his mother's womb and was being carried along. So this is a man who, who could not walk. And we know later in chapter 4, this man was upwards of 40 years old, and yet he had never been able to stand on his own two feet ever. Totally dependent on other people for his living. I don't know about you, but the pride in me says, no, 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 I'm good. This man didn't have that opportunity. He had to humble himself daily because he was dependent upon everybody else for his life and livelihood. He's being carried along, and they used to set him down every day. So we don't know. He's spending decades at the temple every single day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. Can you imagine every single day being placed in the same place, the same location, ushering the same request. Money for the poor. Every single day. This was 30 plus years. He sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him, I love that phrase, and said, look at us. Circle that phrase. It's important. 
And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He's, the, the, the expectations heighten, right? Like, ooh, I've got a giver, yes! And Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold. Well, what a killjoy! But, oh, it's important to look at the butts of Scripture, right? This is a, an important but right here. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. What? And seizing him by the right hand, a total Peter move, amen, he raises him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And he leaped, and he stood up straight, and he began to walk, and he enters the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. May God write his eternal truths upon my heart and your hearts today. Amen. What a scene. First miracle the early church does. And I think there's important things to, to note here that I want to I kind of uh, uh, tease out a bit with you guys this morning. So um, if, if we're anticipating God to work, if we're anticipating God to perhaps bring opportunity out of our adversity, I think there's some important things to, to dialogue through. So five points this morning. The first one being this, we have to be aware of the danger of proximity. The danger of proximity. Adversity requires us to go deep beyond religion. We have to realize that adversity requires us to go deeper than the the trappings of any sort of religious or ritual type experience. What I mean by that is that every single day, this man is placed at the holiest location in Jerusalem, and nothing significant happens in his life. See, we have to be careful that sometimes we think proximity to religious people or religious things will bring healing. This man has not experienced this. It's not God wanting to work on this man's heart. It's the fact that so many times we divorce relationship with God when it comes to healing and thinks just if our rituals and our practices will will bring what we need for our, our our soul care and soul nourishment. That's not true. This man was every day before the most beautiful gate entering into the the temple and he received nothing beyond money and he needed something beyond money. Just because you hang out with Christian people doesn't mean that's going to rub off on you. Some of you are like, amen, I know that. Just going to church doesn't, doesn't do this, right? We have to be careful when it comes to proximity. It is never about how close you get to religion or religious things or rituals. It's getting close to the God who says, I've created you in my image. I want relationship with you. How many times this man had asked for money, but he never asked perhaps for prayer? How many times he asked for money, and he never asked just will you be a friend? How many times he asked for money and perhaps he didn't ask someone, could you quote Isaiah? The lame will leap like deer, like Karen referenced. How many times perhaps he said, so would someone share with me a psalm? It was just about business as usual, routine. I just need money. Be careful. Peter and John go up to the temple. Look at this. They're going up to the temple at the ninth hour, at the hour of prayer, 3 p.m., the busiest time. Now, I want you to know 
why would these guys, who are supposedly now in relationship with Jesus, going up to the temple to pray? Because I think them, like Paul, seize the opportunity to go pray, be among their Jewish friends, but have opportunities to share about the Messiah. What a cool ministry, right? Paul would go to every single village, town, city, and the first place that Paul went to when he went to another location is he went to the synagogue. Because there, there were people who were interested in spiritual dialogue, discussion, discourse, and Paul would engage them by pointing the Old Testament scriptures to the fulfillment of those things in the Messiah. So Peter and John are going together. Now, these guys always hung out. These guys were BFFs. These are the original BFFs. So go ahead and write that in your Bible if you would, BFFs. These are the guys, they were in business together. They were fishermen. So they were in business together. These guys uh, hung out all the time, right? They were, they were the guys who prepared the last Passover meal with Jesus. They were the guys that ran to the empty tomb that, that Easter morning, right? And we know who ran faster? Peter. And it's funny that Peter writes that. Like, I, I beat John to the tomb, right? So these guys, there's like healthy competition here. These guys minister together. In Acts chapter 8, they ministered to the Samaritans together. So these guys were bros. They had, a, they had a real bromance happening centered on Christ. And so it was awesome. So here they go up to the temple, and they see this lame man. And actually, the lame man sees them. And I don't know what it is about Peter and John, but he's like, hey, guys, I can, <laughs> I can use some money right now. Right? He, just, he just reaches out to him, right? This is a guy, again, who could never stand on his own two feet. He's dependent upon others, and yet he's placed in this, this place called the Gate of Beautiful. Real quick, probably the most extravagant, opulent, beautiful gate, hence the name, in, in, in all the temple area. There were, there were nine gates that you could enter into. This one was the most magnificent. 50 cubits high, 40 cubits wide, covered with Corinthian bronze. Like, if, if you're ever you were going to go into to, to the temple, this is the place you wanted to enter because it was so extravagant. But again, even the beauty of the temple and the, and the, the magnificence you felt, there was still an emptiness, right? People could walk in and not feel, they're, they're pr- in proximity, they were close to beauty as far as material things, but they had a heart that wasn't connected with God. And here's this man crying out to Peter, crying out to John. Hey, you guys got any money? And I want you to also think about proximity too in that sometimes we're blinded by religion and ritual and the beauty of buildings and we miss out on the need of an individual sitting right there begging for money. Right? Perhaps some of the most amazing occasions we have to help somebody is perhaps when we're on our way to church on Sunday morning. And I've known people like, you know, I saw a homeless guy, but I was going to be late for church, so I just needed to get to church. <laughs> you ever been there? I'm guilty, right? Yeah. Here's the thing. Don't let the blindness, or the beauty of religion blind you to the need that exists all around you. Point number two. This is, this is important. The duty of availability. I'm not a person that likes the word duty, but I think this is one of those areas where I think it is, is called for. Because I think we forget the responsibility we have to not just one another as the church, but, but one another as human beings. And I want us to think about Peter and John and how this man 
was not, and I'm going to use this word, a nuisance. How many of you have nuisances in your life? None of you? I do. All right, so I'll be the only one. Hi, my name's Scott. I have nuisances in my life. Maybe I'm the nuisance in someone's life. I don't know. But I think we have a tendency to treat people as an interruption. We have a tendency to treat people as somewhat like, I don't have time for you. These two men have just experienced the first mega church movement in history. 3,000 plus people come to know Jesus. And what I love about their hearts, they have time for the individual. You are never so busy doing God's stuff that you don't have time for the individual. Amen? And sometimes that individual will make him or herself known in ways that it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit into your time, timeline for the day. Right? Don't, don't we become so scripted and so scheduled in our lives that when it comes to some sort of interruption, we just ignore it and we miss out that perhaps that's God's divine appointment for us to act upon for that day. These men were going to the temple to pray. I thank God that they had a heart for the individual, a nameless dude who had never been able to walk, who was asking for money, and God prompted their hearts to focus and give that man their attention. And perhaps there's no greater need in our world than our availability to give people our attention. You ever talk to someone and they're not like looking at you when you talk to them? What do you feel like? I'm not important. Right? We talk to people and we always have this or this, and it's like, yeah, I'm glad you're telling me about you know, your family problems, and we're like, oh yeah, no, continue, I'm paying attention. Like, this is why Peter says, look at me. There's something beautiful, but there's also something uncomfortable when you say, look at me. And when you sit there with a person and you're making eye contact, that's something that I think we've, we're losing the, the, the ability to do is just connect with people face to face, eye to eye. But these men are available. And God ordains this time for an incredible healing to take place, right? The most normal reaction to anyone begging for money is what? To avert your eyes. The most normal human reaction to the presence of, of poverty and a beggar is to look the other way as if they don't exist. And Peter does the exact opposite. There's intentionality there, right? Because he's available. And so he treats this man as an individual. And I'm going to tell you, those who care about reaching the many care about reaching the one. And here's what I want to do, and I'm going to share with you just a Scott Morgan play in my life. I want every single person that I, want, I come in contact with to feel as if they're the most important person in the room. Now, I wish that was original. I borrow that from Fred Rogers, also known as Mr. Rogers. If you know about Mr. Rogers, hit one of his philosophies was this. If he's with you, you're the most important person in the world at that moment. Isn't that cool? What would happen if we treated all of our relationships like that, whether they be a friend or a stranger? Whether they have a name or we don't know their name, how can we be men and women who are available to all people individually with intentionality to say, when I'm with you, you're the most important person to me? I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people were able to move from adversity to healing is because there were people that were loved like they'd never been loved before. 
And the Spirit compelled these men and women to love others so wonderfully. There, there is never a person left out or lost when they were in the presence of the disciples, I feel. Church, as you are sent out, as you are going out into the world and you're, you're bringing, hopefully, the love of Christ to wherever you go, because that's our mission, I pray that wherever that person may be that you come in contact with, they feel they are the most important person in the world. And all God's people said, because what happens next is, is pretty awesome. The diligence in expectancy. So there's this availability, right? And what I love is that we have this language in Acts 3 that says the, the, the lame beggar was expecting something. But what he was expecting was trivial compared to what God wanted to ultimately give him. Can I ask you, how many times have we expected something small when God wanted to give us something big? I'm wondering how many of us came through this door this morning expecting something big from God. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put this out there. Probably less than half of us. That might even be generous. You know, I think we come and we expect good coffee. Granted, thank you very much. Uh, we expect, oh, good music. You know, we expect all oh, kind people. Oh, it's good, so good to see you. A hug, maybe a holy kiss. You know, we don't want to get too crazy, right? <laughs> but I wonder how many of us come in with the mentality that says, I am entering a sacred space where God is not only lifted up and exalted and extolled and honored and praised, but He has told me that when I meet with others in community in this sacred space, something big is bound to happen. I tremble thinking that God has set aside this time for us so that we can expect something huge from him. Especially as we open the sacred text that we call the scriptures. I think some of us are like, oh, well, isn't that a lovely story? No, this is not a story. This is an account of the living God of the universe moving in a nameless man's life and bringing about something out of nothing. This is the account of um, a man who was expecting pennies and did not expect to be jumping joyously with his own two feet before God praising him for a healing that he could never imagine happening in the day he woke up. I don't think it's wrong to expect great things of God. I think more often than not, we as the church are men and women of little faith. And that little faith is because we're men and women of little expectancy. And we're men and women who have bought into this, oh, business as usual idea of church. Screw that. There's a God who says, 
I have created you in my image. I have saved you through my son. The spirit is now working in you. Don't treat this as laissez-faire business as usual crap. Now, I'm not saying you got to leave here leaping like deer. But I am here saying, if you come with big faith saying, God, I want to meet you, your heart is going to be leaping because you have been touched by a creator who has spoken with you through his word, by his spirit, in the name of Jesus, and you are leaving here knowing I have met with God today. You know why God's oftentimes not working in our lives? Because we don't expect him to. BS. We ignore the word of God. We quench the spirit of God because we're men and women of little faith. And I talk to people who will sit here for years and it's the same old crap going on in their life. And they're like, why isn't God working? Why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't God answering my prayer? Because you are a person of little faith. Every single day, and this goes beyond Sundays, amen? Church does not happen just on Sunday. If we are the people of God and there's a God who's open 24-7, there's no locks on his door. I know, amen. You need to understand that there's a God who's ready and willing and eager to speak to your soul. And to remind you you're not alone. And to remind you you have constant access to his throne. And that you are to approach his throne with boldness and confidence. And to ask anything you want. He's your daddy. You're his kid. And if we don't come with expectancy, no wonder your lives are boring and uneventful. Because you haven't come to God with big audacious prayers. And big audacious uh, expectation. Amen. Junie needs to come up here and preach with me. Come on, my little partner, right? Like almost like a, like a guy with a puppet or something, right? Like, <laughs> but what are you looking for, God? Are you looking for pennies? Are you looking for the for the for the Lord of the universe to show up? I think we wake up each and every day and we have such little or low expectations. And I want you at the end of the day to look back on your day and say, God showed Himself here. And he showed himself through this person. He showed himself through this event. And I think every single day we should be anticipating and expecting God to do this. This guy is lame, and and we're lame in the same way in the sense that we go through the routines, business as usual, day after day, and all we do is just say, "Give give me some pennies. Give me some money. And we don't expect something bigger. Adversity is often comforted when you come to God with great spiritual anticipation. God won't comfort you apart from his spirit. He won't comfort you apart from his word. He won't raise your level of expectancy apart from his holy will. When Peter says, look at us, he's expecting a generous gift. Right? He's not going to just throw a couple pennies in this guy's <laughs> jar, right? It's almost like, ooh, this is a big giver. Like, what a letdown, right? This guy's lame. Peter's lame. <laughs> and he says, right, you know, silver and gold we do not have. 
Money's not what he, he needed most. Can I tell you, when it comes to expectancy, we don't know what we need. That's why we don't ask for what we need. Right? This man is not broke. He's broken. There's a difference. Right? And I, and I think perhaps we don't understand brokenness, therefore we don't understand our ultimate need. You don't need money. You don't need your kids to obey you. You don't need a promotion. You don't need a better car. You don't need all the stuff that we, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad. What I'm saying is your ultimate need is that you are broken and poor in spirit. And until you know you're poor in spirit, you will not understand the kingdom of God. We're broken people. And God says, I've come to make you whole. I've come to make you complete. And I've come to work on your heart to show you that your only need is Jesus. Because when you have Jesus and you abide in Christ, you don't need anything else. He needed salvation for his soul and healing for his body and money could not provide either. Isn't it interesting how we, be, we buy into these substitutes? This is going to make you happy. This is going to bring you success. But I want you to notice something. Peter acts in the spirit of God to go to this lame man and say, look at me. Jesus never healed people with like drive-by healings. What I mean by that is like Jesus, when he was ministering and healing people, he never just walked by somebody and went like, Right, and that person's like, what? And Jesus just was like silently passing by, like secret blessing, right? No, no, Jesus always wanted to captivate the attention of the person he wanted to heal. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the great, quote unquote, secrets of the journey of, 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 of a believer is this. When you are focused on Christ your level of anticipation and expectancy will be raised. I think every single day Jesus says this to us. Look at me. Because when your gaze is not on Jesus and you, he doesn't have your attention, your expectancy lowers. How are you looking at Christ every day? Are you looking for Christ every day? Because looking at Christ, and I'm going to say, and this, will, this is a rewind moment. When you look at Christ, it will always awaken or quicken faith in your heart. And that's what feeds expectancy is faith. We're men and women who do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. When you gaze upon Jesus, it will always quicken faith in your heart. Does that make sense? That's, that's like one of those truths you're like, whoa, better, better caught than taught. All I can say is just go out and, 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 and do it. Because I don't think God is a God who is offended that you would even say, God, I expect something from you today. 
could we be so bold as believers to say, I want to live this, this type of expectancy? Because all I know is that the word of God in the scripture says it, it, will, it will go out and never return void. That God has put his, his name on the line for you and me. And why wouldn't he want to act on behalf of his kids if it brings him glory and it causes us to, to worship him even more? Right? Gaze upon Christ. Look at him. Don't treat your, your Christian journey as a business as usual kind of thing, right? Expect the extraordinary to take place. Don't be the kind of person that comes to church day after day, week after week, year after year, and never anticipate God to do something because your life has been like that. God wants to shake you up today and say, Open your eyes. I'm here. I'm working. You are having a spiritual moment with the God of the universe. Don't treat this as anything less. Like we should all be leaving and going to our cars and like, we met God today. Versus like, I went to church. God doesn't call you to go to church. He calls you to meet with him. Point number four. The dependency on the the dependence on authority. Oh, this is this is so good. You guys, what a guide for us as we minister in the name of Christ to people. You can't give what you don't have, amen. <laughs> but you do have something, so give that. And what did Peter have? He had the spirit of the living God in him. And I think we lose sight of, of the authority that has been given to us in Christ's name. Peter didn't agonize about what he did not possess, right? He wasn't like, oh man, I'm so sorry, I don't have silver or gold. Peter knew he had something far better than silver and gold. He had the authority of Jesus to perform signs and wonders to promote the gospel for the glory of God. Now, I'm not saying you have been given the authority to perform signs and wonders, but I'll tell you what, you have been given the authority where you know the king of the universe. You've been given his word. You've been given his will. You've been given his heart. You have been given a, a spirit of grace and compassion and forgiveness. Don't tell me you don't have something substantive to give to this world. And boy, we need to be dependent on this because the power to heal was not theirs. They were just instruments made being available in the hands of God. That's one of the greatest lessons I learned as a minister early on is that even just as a believer, be available. Just be available. And God will work. See, Peter first admits his bankruptcy in the material realm. But what he demonstrates is his amazing adequacy in the spiritual realm. There's an important lesson to be learned here because what's done in the name of Christ is never wasted time. What does the name of Christ mean? Circle that phrase. I think it's in, in, in verse 6 if you notice that. What I do have I give you in the name of Jesus. Circle the phrase name because this is good, right? The name signifies all that Jesus Christ is. When you think of someone's name, it is an expression of their very essence, it is the power of the person that's present and available, right? In this case, Jesus, the invocation of his name is now a direct link between heaven and earth. 
It's not some magic formula, but it's a simple recognition that salvation blessings are to come because Jesus is living and active among our world, changing lives as we speak. This is awesome. So when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, walk, he means I am speaking the words, but Jesus is healing you. I am sharing with you the name of Christ, but the faith that you have to be healed is not mine. It belongs in, in another realm. It's like what, what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus comes and says to them, notice, all authority. What does that mean? It means <laughs> he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one who sustains the world. He's the one that allows us to operate day to day, right? He maintains our breathing. He maintains our lives, right? He maintains the course of our, our existence, right? This is a powerful God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about, what, how many times have we read that verse and we probably have never understood the gravity of it? Speaking of gravity, he's in control of that too. So let's continue. Therefore, now notice, he says, I've been given authority now what are we to do? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you till the end of the age. Jesus says, I got this. I've got you. Go forth and do what I've told you to do because you're not acting on your own authority. You're acting on mine. Can I tell you how this really, I have a fun little illustration. So when I was in high school, I, uh, I knew this rich kid, and his dad was a member of a country club. And what was really cool was, like, I didn't understand that. I, like, you know, I, didn't, I didn't hang out with that crowd generally. But, so we went golfing at this country club, and what I didn't expect was that because we could only get in by this kid's dad's name, his name carried a lot of weight at the country club. You know what that translated into a teenage young golfer's heart? You could order whatever you wanted on the menu. And you didn't have to pay for it. And it wasn't just once. You could order as much as you wanted. You could golf as much as you wanted. You could... Because of this man's name, I was given freedom to ask and do basically whatever I wanted. And I left there and I'm like, Dad, we got to get a membership at a country club. Like, and my dad's looking at me like, yeah, right, right? Like, but it's, it's pretty amazing, huh? When you think about what is given to you as far as spiritual blessings and resources that really aren't yours, and you live in this realm, like, are you kidding me? I'm in relationship with the name of all names, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and he says all authority has been given to him. He goes, now go live your life. And I wonder if we live in this world as if like, yeah, my dad's the owner of everything. Or we're walking around like cheapskates when it comes to spiritual blessings, like a little bit here, a little bit there. I don't know if my, God, my dad's going to provide for me, right? Like this is why Jesus says, why are you anxious for tomorrow? Don't you know that there's the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, like they're not worried. They're not stressing out. They're not anxious. Why? Because they have a relationship with God that they know God's going to take care of them. But how much more do you, who are created in his image, have this confidence that my God's a rich God? That my God could supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Remember that verse? 
Not just for NFL players' cheeks anymore, but for the believers. The church. Right? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because my God has authority over everything. So here's Peter giving what is not his. And I'm going to say this, and I, and I don't want to come out wrong, but we perhaps need to raise our level of speaking authoritatively into one another's lives, especially the world. And we need to go beyond the material to the deeply spiritual. And what I mean by that is this. You have organizations helping people out, and we're part of this, right? We, we can send resources. We can send Bibles. We can send money to Ukraine, right? We can do different things, right? But I think we need to understand as believers, while that's important, there's something more important that money can't buy, and that's the spiritual state of someone's soul. And I wonder if we are missing, in the name of Jesus, the soul connection with people that they're most desperate for. Can you write that, that phrase down? Soul connection. Soul investment. Spiritual provision. Because ladies and gentlemen, silver and gold you may not have. But what do you have? You have Jesus. Remember, people ultimately in this world are not broke, they're broken. Everyone born into this world is lame and naked and poor and falls short of the glory of God. A material donation may be nice, but it is not ultimate because the person's heart is far from God. Authority says this. That God is working, even this very day, changing the hearts of men and women from being rebels of the Most High to becoming lovers of the Most High. And he's doing it through us, called the church. Perhaps we need to raise our level of expectancy in how God uses us. While you may be meeting someone's physical need, let me always encourage you to do this. Recognize even a deeper need, and that's the spiritual need they might have. Is that a good word? Do we need to be reminded of this? I think so. Remember, this is not power, Peter's power. This is Jesus' power. This is not Peter's healing. This is Jesus' healing, right? So we are people of the word. We are people who can bring something to the world that oftentimes agencies and other institutions can offer. We are people of grace. We are people of mercy. We are people of forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you right now, the biggest need that the world has is to be forgiven. And there's not something that a charitable donation can teach them about forgiveness. That has to come through the mouth of God's witnesses, you and me, who have experienced this forgiveness, so now we can extend this forgiveness. That's the deepest need of people. And so we have this authority, right, that we can go out and we can tell people, yes, there's a God who heals, there's a God who loves, there's a God who forgives. There's a God who makes the lame leap. There's a God who makes the blind see. There's a God who makes the mute speak. And how about Isaiah 40, 31? How many of you have heard this verse before, right? They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the promise, spiritually speaking, of those who find healing in 
Christ. The church is given Jesus' authority. You have been given the authority of Christ. That doesn't mean you go out and act like a jerk with people. This means you go out and act like Jesus with people. Jerk or Jesus, your choice. Write those words down. Circle the one that you identify with most. I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes Christians can really run over people because they think a little too much about authority. All I know is I want to be prone to think of a person's heart is being imprisoned by sin and that Christ is the sin breaker. He's the sin conqueror. People, they're going to express one level of need, but you need to be intuitive enough to recognize there's a deeper level of need in their life. What do we have to give? Can I give you three words? Just think about this. You can impart healing God brings ultimate healing to our souls. Amen? Those who have tasted the Lord and seen that he is good, you know. You can impart healing. You can impart joy. The church ought to be the most joyous people place on earth. Like, I, I, I see you guys. Like, I want to just be smiling. Not that there's not stuff, crummy stuff happening in our lives. Amen? There's junk going on in all of our lives. But doggone it, you've been touched by the God of the universe and loved in Christ. Nothing compares to that. Right? You got to be the most joyous people. And some of you look like you're walking around sucking on lemons all the time. Stop! Has joy invaded your world? Because all I know is every day I want to wake up and be reminded I'm loved with a love that this world can never offer. It's a love given to me by God who has every right to damn my soul to hell, but he has redeemed my life for heaven. Amen? And there's wonder when you have healing and joy combined, it produces wonder, and not just the wonder that you get to experience, that you live in your Father's world and you're loved by Him, but there's a wonder that now people are like, what makes you different? Right? Look what happened when this man was healed. The multitudes recognized this dude as someone they had seen every single day for decades. And they knew something supernatural had taken place. That doesn't mean their lives were changed as a result of it. It just means that they recognize that the invisible has invaded the visible. That something radical took place and they were in amazement over this man's change of life. I wonder how many people could look at us and go, I'm interested in what God's doing in your life. I'm amazed at what God's doing. Or, you know, they're sitting there going, yeah, they're just just like any other Christian I've seen, sucking on lemons, right? There's a sucking on lemon crowd, right? We're going to call them out. Because if your life has been touched by the supernatural, there's got to be some amazement and wonder that's visible in you. Amen? Now, I'm not saying be cheesy. Don't be cheesy for Jesus, all right? Like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Don't be that kind of person. But be the person that's like, man, I'm going through a tough time, but doggone it, where would I be without the hope that's mine in Christ? He is the anchor of my soul. He's the author and perfecter of my faith. No matter what I may be going through, I can, I can withstand it because of the God who loves me. I call him Daddy, his Abba, and he loves me like I've never been loved before. So you, you live with that kind of mantra, right? And people are like, what? And then you invite them to taste and see that the Lord's good. Last point. 
I don't know how I'm going to have any strength left over for the second service. Should we just cancel it? I need a Lara bar or something, right? More coffee. That's the answer, right? How about this? The delight for, or for glorifying or in glorifying. I, don't, I, didn't, I couldn't figure out how to phrase this, but I'm going to just tell you what I mean by this. There's something that God does. You know it's of God when even in your adversity, whether you're in it or you're coming out of it, you have an eye, ear, heart to glorify God. You can glorify God while you're in adversity. You can glorify God after adversity. You should be glorifying God no matter where you're at with adversity. Because look at this guy. Peter extends his hand. See, and I don't think it was because of unbelief. I think this man had been so programmed to say, I can't walk, I can't walk, I can't walk, I can't walk. And the hand of love has to be extended and bring him to his, his feet. And Dr. Luke... Remember, the guy who's writing this is a doctor. Only place in Scripture where he uses the terms feet and ankles. Instantaneously healed. This man has never stood on his feet ever. And now he's up, and he's jumping, and he's walking, and he's dancing, he's praising God. It's got to be an act of God. And what is the first thing he does? With Peter and John, he goes into the temple. He was never allowed to go in the temple because of his debilitating disease. Now he was not just in proximity to the temple. He was in it. And he was dancing and praising God. Oh, man. He was broken. Trapped in the pain of his of sin, not sin that caused his, his lameness, but he, was, had, he had no relationship with God. But now he was bursting with praise because he had experienced the pleasure of God. And they all entered the temple together, and here's this man who's elated, and he's, he's loved. And what a picture of salvation for all of us, that we ought to be dancing, we ought to be leaping we ought to be praising god why because we're all born into this world spiritually lame we're all born into this world spiritually blind we're all born into this world spiritually poor but doggone it god provides everything we need for life and for godliness through jesus amen god demonstrates his own love towards us that while we're yet sinners christ dies for us it says in the scriptures that as bad as suffering is in this life, there's something much worse, and that is being crippled by sin. And you and I, if we're in Christ, we've been delivered from that crippling effect. That in Christ, we have been given not just healing, we've been given soul healing. Are you leaping? Are you praising? Are you dancing? Are you shouting? Are you declaring how good God is? Because this is what you've been set free for to glorify him. What happens to your body is not as nearly as important as what happens to your soul. Healing only comes by God's grace. And it is always complete and it is always immediate and his healing always leads to joy. And all God's people said, how about a Hallelujah. All right, good. This side's a little stronger than this side. I'll pray for you guys, all right?
A lot to learn. Did you see God today? Did you look upon the face of Jesus today? Is your gaze upon Him today? Did you miss Him this morning? Guess what? It's probably about 12 hours left in this day. If you miss Him this morning, I pray you don't miss Him this afternoon. And maybe you'll miss Him this afternoon and pray I don't, you don't miss Him this evening. I will tell you, He is showing up. You just got to look for Him. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, you are such a good, good God. I think all of us feel, it's, no one else can see it, but all of us are in this place because we feel that brokenness we're, we've been talking about. And yet you're a God who, who perceives all things. You know all things. And what's amazing is that in our, in our lameness and in our blindness and in our poverty, you, you come in and you bring unmatchless treasure and delight. The refreshment that is ours in Christ is oftentimes indescribable. Like Isaiah 35 said, right? It's just, there's been drought and there's been famine and there's been disease and there's been this crippling effect and yet the Messiah comes and turns our hearts into something radically new and different and exciting. Lord, thank you that you have given us the greatest gift. And while we may be struggling, we may be going through difficult seasons, we may be experiencing adversity, to know that we are loved by you, I believe, is, is promise enough to carry us through any situation. Thank you, God, for being a God who cares for us, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet promises every single day to provide exactly what we need for life and godliness. May we not look elsewhere, but may we look only intently upon the person and work of Jesus Christ for our every need. Thank you for being, again, a gracious and merciful and wonderful God. Be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. You're sent. God bless you.